We all know the coronavirus pandemic is bad. And we all know it's not going away anytime soon, despite what the president says. What I'm not clear on is how to avoid getting COVID-19 when I'm buying groceries at the store. Or like, do I have to do anything special if I order takeout food? Or whether I should pet the neighbor dog who refuses to stay six feet away. Can the coronavirus survive on fur? Yeah, dogs are horrible at social distancing. Especially when they're really, really cute. Yeah, and your dog's pretty cute. And your neighbor dog's cute, I hear, too. <laughs> well, today on Center Stage, instead of just yammering on about politics like we usually do, Speak for yourself. we're actually going to get some real answers from an actual expert in public health. And he's going to tell us what we can do to avoid getting COVID-19, how to protect ourselves in our home, in the neighborhood, at the gas station, or from your co-workers. Are you talking about me, Phil? Yeah, just a little bit, yeah. That's why I'm at home. And we might get into <laughs> politics a little bit. I'm Scott Milford. I'm the editorial page editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. And I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. And we are half of the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board. The more sanitized half. Not our language, though. Right. Today, we're going to call Dr. Patrick Remington. He's a UW-Madison professor emeritus at the Department of Population Health Sciences. Basically, he's a public health doctor and an expert on how bad things spread and get into our body and make us sick. He also has worked for the Centers for Disease Control as an epidemic intelligence service officer to hunt down epidemics and figure out ways to prevent them. Sort of the James Bond of epidemiology. He still teaches 350 undergraduates about public health. He teaches 50 Master of Public Health students, and he's four residents who are in the thick of working for the state health department to stop the spread of the novel coronavirus that causes COVID-19. Hello. Hi, Dr. Remington? Yeah. It's Scott Melfred from the Wisconsin State Journal. Oh, hey, Scott. Hi, Pat. How's it going? That's so well. How are you? Can I call you Pat or should I call you Patrick? Oh, uh, Pat's fun. Thanks for joining us on Center Stage with Milford in Hands, uh, Dr. Remington. Well, you're definitely overqualified for this podcast, so we're we're glad we're <laughs> we're glad that you're joining yeah. us. Scott, he didn't say he was any good at drawing cartoons. That's true. Do you no. know how to draw cartoons, Doctor? There's a funny story. My nephew is named Patrick, and he is quite a talented cartoonist. In fact, if you Google Patrick Remington cartoons uh it comes up and i i can't take credit it's just my brother's son but uh but i i am not a cartoonist but i'm but i'm related to one okay well that makes uh, that i can trust him then well we normally talk about politics and of course there there could be a lot of political things to talk about related to the coronavirus but today we were going to talk more about some questions that phil and i have had that we feel like haven't been answered. Our newsroom is answering a gazillion questions, but I'm talking about questions that you might be a little too embarrassed to ask. Maybe questions that suggest you're a little obsessive or paranoid. I'm the kind of guy that when I see my family in the winter, I ask them if they have a cold before I give them a kiss. Sure. My, my family's a big hugging, kissing kind of family, and I'm known as kind of the germaphobe. Well, you are a germaphobe, Scott. And Phil works by me. I guess he thinks I am. I think I'm just being smart, and I don't like to get colds. <laughs> and I sure don't want to get the coronavirus because I have two members of my family who have asthma, which I think is one of the risk factors. So we know it's bad. We know we're supposed to stay home. We know we're supposed to stay six feet away from people when we do go out and take a walk or go to the grocery store. 
But, for example, just to get us started, I have wondered three times in the last week whether or not I can pet the neighbor dog. The dogs don't respect the six-foot rule. Sure. It, can the virus survive on first? Well, the virus does uh, last uh, after it... If a person were ill and they were to sneeze or cough or even breathe on a, on a pet, that virus could stay there. Uh, not forever, because it dries up and then it dies. Um, and usually that happens within, you know, maybe an hour uh, or two. So it would just be a question of whether the pet was in a family where somebody's either infected or suspected of being infected. And, and if so, then potentially there could be a virus on a pet, no different than the pet rolling in the grass and, and getting a, a chemical pesticide, for example. So I think it's generally good idea if you're touching any surface that potentially could be contaminated a virus isn't going to come in through your fingers it's going to come in through your eyes nose or mouth and so whenever you do that just if you have a hand sanitizer or the next time you're near a sink carefully wash your hands and you'll take care of it uh, obviously you can't really go out in the community you can't go shopping without grabbing a box of uh, a cereal on the shelf or punching in your code for your credit card. Uh, those keypads have been touched by others. So that would be a time when you say, I may have come in contact with the virus. Next time I am in the, in the washroom or in the, in the bathroom, I'm going to wash my hands very carefully. And then between the two times, you just want to avoid putting your hands to your face. And that's hard for us, for many of us to do. It's a habit that's really hard to break. So if it's a really cute Yorkie, I can pet it. I just need to wash my hands. Yeah, I like to think, just, just imagine that dog had just rolled in some uh, dead animal and would do the same thing that you would do if you pet <laughs> a dog that really didn't smell very good. What sort of precautions should people take at grocery stores? Is it okay to just go about your business and just wash your hands when you're done shopping? Should you wear gloves to the grocery store? Does that help to wear gloves to the grocery store? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, we've decided that grocery stores obviously are essential. People need to eat. And uh, so we have to keep the grocery stores open. So I, I think be very practical. Use common sense. Uh, don't crowd people. Don't stand in a line closer uh, than six feet to the next person. So that way, you're, if they sneeze or cough or even breathe, if they happen to be sick or even a couple of days before getting sick, they may not know it. That virus isn't going to um, fall on your uh, on your body or uh, you know in your face, and and so that's just a that's called sort of social distancing. Just keep a bit more distance than you might normally. The second thing is just as you said, um, you're going to go through the grocery store. You're going to grab a cart. You're going to go down the aisle. I would just assume that your hands are contaminated, and then a very practical thing, maybe even before leaving the grocery stores. Uh, go into the restroom and, and wash your hands vigorously. Um, you know, you can grab doors with paper towels and uh, be safe after washing your hands. So I, I think it's it's a, important to go out, keep a safe social distance uh, uh, from people, and they would appreciate that too. They don't know that you're not sick or about to be sick. So I, I think keeping that social distance and then just careful hand hygiene when you whenever you have to touch a surface that you might not know that somebody who's been sick has also touched it. Yeah, so I was doing an essential trip to the grocery store, and I was in the beer fridge, which was very small. <laughs> I waited for somebody else to come out, but as soon as I hopped in, somebody followed me right into this five-by-five-foot beer fridge. Should I be concerned about that? Well, you could just cough. 
and maybe they might take that hint as uh, they shouldn't be in there. Uh, but no, I, I think just be practical. Um, you, obviously, uh, when you check out, you're going to be more closer than six feet to the checkout person and the person helping you bag your groceries. Um, and so just be practical. Um, you know, if you, if you are, first of all, if you are sick, not feeling well, just don't go. You should definitely stay home. If you have to go out, uh, then that's a time when you'd wear a mask to prevent any uh, virus that you might be might be coming out of your uh, lungs, out of your throat, um, from uh, spreading. Um, and, and and then just you know, it's not unreasonable if somebody stands too close to you, it's just to just to move away. So I, I think you know, pr- practical social distancing. It doesn't really mean. Uh, staying away from absolutely everybody all the time it's it's probably not feasible to do to um to just go about your business you talked about wearing a mask if you're feeling sick you need to go out and that doesn't have to be a sort of special protective mask that could be anything we had a story in today's paper about sewers who are sewing masks that some hospitals can't take because they're not hygienic but you could wear that on yourself right without a doubt uh, the point of a mask if you're not feeling well if you're coughing or sneezing is that it just captures the, those those droplets that uh, could have uh, influenza or uh, covid virus and so for you wearing a mask if you're not feeling well it's a good thing there's not really good evidence that if you're if you're feeling well that the mask is going to help you because those droplets don't really float in the air and even if it did just an inexpensive mask isn't going to prevent air that airborne virus from coming in so it really doesn't help you in fact there's some evidence that people who are wearing masks you actually have to pick up the mask with your hands you have to put it in your up in your face you t- tend to adjust it you spend a lot of time getting your hands uh, in, in a place that they shouldn't be they shouldn't be in your in, in your face or in, near your mouth and so I think the practical advice is masks are better for people who are ill. They're also really important for people who have to take care of sick people, uh, healthcare workers, and that's why we don't want people going out and buying masks and depleting the supply for uh, the people who are working at the front lines, the people working in hospitals and, and clinics who, who now generally you will see are wearing masks and even face guards all the time. Just to clarify one point, if, if I am sick, which I'm not, but if I were sick, I don't need to have a fancy doctor's mask to protect my, to prevent me from spreading it, do I? Can I just wear like a bandana or, or even a sock across my face? I think anything that keeps the droplets, uh, were you to sneeze uh, and you put a handkerchief up to your uh, uh, face, that catches those water droplets. And so that's why a, a tight cotton weave that, you know, where, where uh, water vapor doesn't go through. Um, you know, some masks are built better than others, but, uh, you know, the CDC guidelines are if you don't have a, uh, one of the masks, again, it's more of a barrier than a filter for the air. It's a barrier that keeps water droplets from being sprayed out, uh, you know, up to six feet away. Here's another goofy or obsessive question from the uh, germaphobe. Paper or plastic, does one of them at the grocery store host the virus more than the other? I I don't think there's any evidence uh, uh, to uh, say one way or the other. I did see a study that saw that a virus on paper uh, doesn't last as long because paper is dry and it tends to desiccate on surfaces, plastic or steel uh, surfaces, virus tends to last longer because it doesn't get dried. So, I mean, if 
just using that evidence, you might think that paper might be a bit safer because it's a drier substance. It's probably better for the environment, so I would always go for paper. I, I did hear somebody say that you're not supposed to bring your own grocery bags in because of the potential of them being infected and contaminated, and then the, the person bagging their groceries might be uh, become contaminated. Um, I'm not sure if that's a policy in all groceries, but it seems to me that... Uh, you know, if you did bring a bag, then you'd just keep it up, keep it yourself and you'd do your own bagging. And, and speaking of paper and plastic, our newspaper, which we deliver to tens of thousands of people across the Madison area every single day, comes in a plastic bag. Do people need to worry about handling the newspaper? I think this new world order is that assume during this critical period when there are lots of people who are infected now, who don't know it, and there will be many, many more. And they will spend a day or two before they get symptoms uh, shedding virus. So I think it's not unreasonable during these next few weeks to just assume that any any surface that you touch, whether it's, a, it's a, 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 again, a piece of mail, there's evidence that that's paper and it's probably been out in your mailbox for a couple hours, it's most certainly safe. But, but you could argue that anytime you touch something that you you know, you don't own already, um, just make the assumption that it's uh, not clean and, and wash your hands after handling it. I know that we do limit the number of people to fewer than 10 in the delivery area where they get the paper. So we are trying that and some other measures to keep our readers safe, too. Yeah, and I think that's good stewardship, that, that places that are part of essential services, uh, like uh, the news, um, do the best you can to keep people separated and also just be vigilant. You know, there's so many people who had to go to work not feeling well because of we don't really have very good sick leave policies and, and people feel the pressure to work when not well. That needs to end. Uh, that we should not be going to work uh, when you're when you're not feeling well because that's just going to accelerate this epidemic and we won't have the hospital beds to take care of really sick people. I think in the stimulus bill that the Senate passed, there is a lot of money in there for sick leave. So hopefully more people, like you say, will be able to take sick leave and be paid even if they're sick. One thing we're realizing is that this pandemic is diagnosing some fundamental problems we have in society. Um, we have people who um, work in jobs that don't have sick leave and uh, we have childcare that is not universal and accessible, uh, and uh, and many parents right now, are, many young people are feeling the crunch more than others who who might be able to just telecommute from home. What about when you get your groceries home? And specifically, I was jogging earlier this week, and a woman in my neighborhood had all of her grocery bags lined out in the sun. It was that sunny day. I think it was Sunday. I engaged her from a much greater distance than six feet and just asked about the groceries. And she said she was leaving them in the sun because she was going to take them into her mother who was elderly and that the sun could potentially reduce the virus on the packaging. What do you think well, of that? Yeah, there's no question that this virus does not live. Viruses can't survive uh, outside of a human very long. Uh, and uh, the drying up is 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 how they they desiccate and then they they die, and so the average the sense is that they might last a couple hours um, on a surface, but that could be longer if it's humid and, and and the conditions are right, or it could be shorter. So uh, I think time is is uh, is on your side um, with uh, contaminated products. That if it if it comes in 
your home uh, within a couple hours, uh, the virus is not going to, uh, probably not going to be there. Again, even if it were, careful hand washing and avoiding putting your hands to your face uh, will prevent, if there happens to be that rare chance that, you know, that the, the product is contaminated, if you have, you have a backup by careful hand washing. How about using wipes to wipe down the packaging on their groceries? Is that going too far? Is that a waste of wipes? Or if you're older or if you're in a high-risk group, is that something people should be doing? I think you make a good point, is that each of us has our own risk tolerance and the, our own concerns. So I could see where perhaps a, a young person might say, I just don't go that far. I, tr- I take reasonable precautions. I do social distancing. I wash my hands. But I'm going to wipe down everything that comes into my house. But you might think about that if you have an elderly parent or somebody with a chronic uh, condition uh, and, and for whom infection could be deadly. I think that's not an unreasonable thing to think about doing everything you can, including disinfecting surfaces. Um, so I think it's just as there's no right or wrong. Um, you don't want to sort of have careless disregard and go about your life as if nothing had changed. But I think you you also don't need to uh, think about this as something that's going to literally jump off the, the pages of the newspaper uh, should you pick up a newspaper that's uh, you know been delivered. So putting things in the sun might not be a bad idea. What about putting yourself in the sun? Is there some sort of vitamin D or something else drying yourself off? Is that good to be out in the sun? I think the best evidence is soap and water. Uh, so Soap uh, takes a, a viral particle and puts it into solution and it just washes down the drain. Um, you know, I'd, I'd hate to have a strategy that focuses on, you know, being careless and, and then having viral particles on your cheeks and then hoping that, you know, a little bit of time in the sun is going to deactivate them. I think the key is is a good personal hygiene and then also just paying attention to the, the articles that you're, you're touching. The more time, uh, unfortunately, the more time you spend at home, the better, because that's an environment uh, that is not contaminated. And, and, and then just look at at the just limit the number of times you need to go out and potentially bring contaminated products back into your home. So I'm going to ask a weird question because I'm the person who's been isolating at home. I've been home for the last two weeks. I'm washing my hands a lot more than I ever would, but I'm not showering as much as I normally would during the during the course of a of a work week. Is that anything to worry about? I don't think so because again, um, the 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 route of most of these viruses, in fact, most. Uh, contagion comes uh, through your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. And we are really sort of unique as a species that we put our hands, uh, we shake other people's hands, we put our hands on surfaces, and then they go right to our face. Um, that's how viruses and bacteria have evolved. They they know that that's something unique, and, that, and viruses, um, uh, the route from a con- contaminated person to a to a hand, to a face, is, is is their survival mechanism. So I think it's more important to wash your hands because that's really going to be the uh, mechanism, uh, the vector, the vector for this uh, virus. And 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 it'll probably. Uh, I'm not recommending you don't shower, but you're not going to really be washing off viruses 
uh, any more than you would be by doing careful hand washing. I assume you are showering for the sake of your wife. I mean, I, I am, but not as not as frequently. Is there any special precautions for takeout? We're supposed to be ordering takeout from our favorite restaurants to keep them alive. Do we have to do anything special? Should we w- be wiping down packaging? We don't know who made the food or who carried the food. I would hope that the food preparers are doing what they normally do uh, through our public health uh, licensing and regulations so that if a food preparer is sick, we don't want them preparing any food for any kind of illness. Trust that uh, the public health system is working and that uh, restaurants are keeping our food safe. I would say that, again, the virus isn't going to jump off the takeout package. And if it's not going to jump off the plastic bag, uh, but it's not unreasonable if you handle that and you move the food to a plate, then wash your hands. In fact, my wife tells me to do that every time we eat. So now she just insists on it. Um, it's just a good practice. In fact, I think what we're going to notice, some I, I read where somebody said in the future we're going to see a lot more hand washing. And hopefully that will have benefits down the road for all sorts of other communicable diseases. Let's say the virus gets on your food, a chef sneezes on it. You eat it, it goes down into your stomach. Is that a danger or is it only a danger when the virus gets into your lungs? It's only a danger. These are respiratory uh, viruses. In fact, um, if you swallow them, they'll be chewed up at your stomach acid. So eating this virus, I mean, that's different. There are some viruses that are unique to gastrointestinal illness. But this virus is a respiratory virus, so it, it goes into your respiratory system, and that's why the nose and throat are uh, risk areas. But, but if it were to be in food and in a liquid, um, in fact, food probably, I, I don't know specifically this virus, but many viruses are inactivated by heat, um, but certainly they don't cause any problem in, in the stomach acid. So how does it enter through the throat then? If you were to uh, breathe it in, so a you know a, a droplet that actually you're you're close to somebody they sneeze and you breathe that droplet in right into your throat and then down into your bronchus and into your into your lung wherever the air goes the virus that's on this small water droplet can go also uh, but you could also put the virus in your in your nose if you uh, or in any really mucosal membrane. Is there a sense that touching a surface that has the coronavirus on it versus breathing in the coronavirus in the air because you're too close to a sick person, is one of those a much greater risk than the other, air versus surface? These are uh, airborne uh, uh, transmission is the primary way, and that's why we take droplet precautions. So you want to stay you know, six feet away so that 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 spray, the, the, the sneeze or the cough, or even from breathing, those water droplets. The, this virus needs a pretty big water droplet. Some viruses can be on a very small, you know, maybe a micron or two, and they can float in the air across the room and last for hours. It doesn't appear that this virus does that. These are called aerosol particles. It appears that these, this virus uh, is, is uh, on large larger droplets, and that's a good sign then then social distancing work works. If you had to stay out of a room when somebody was in it for a couple hours, like measles, this would be a very difficult virus and it would spread like wildfire. I mean, it's already spreading quickly. It would spread even more quickly. So the number one thing is that six-foot rule. Above all else, whether it's touching our face or taking fruit from the grocery store that somebody touched, above all, it's not getting close to somebody is the biggest thing. 
I'd say they're both important. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, they go hand hand in hand, so to speak. Uh, but don't touch your hand to somebody else's hand. Yeah, uh, you know, I would say uh, uh, when I heard about this coming to the states, I stopped shaking hands, and for about a month, uh, I was people would sort of chuckle when I would put an elbow out and sort of say, "Oh, the public health doctor," um, and I would just say, "It just doesn't make sense for me to touch your hand because I know." Despite not wanting to, I'm probably going to touch my face, and uh, uh, so I stopped shaking hands. And it's it's kind of an odd habit if you think about or, or tradition uh, that we shake hands, knowing that people have had their hands in their face, they've coughed into their hand, and sneezed into their hand, and then we shake hands. And the viruses love it; they just go along the floor. Is there a difference in how you pay for things? I've wondered in terms of paper money, which I've always assumed is dirtier. But now you've said paper doesn't hold on to the virus as long as plastic does versus, say, using a debit card and having to punch those buttons of my debit card number. Again, I think the risk is extremely small. You'd have to have somebody who's, you know, has active illness or, you know, in the pre-symptom phase. And, but, but they could push that button uh, and there could be virus on that surface. So that's, the, you know, the primary prevention is to avoid contact with people and surfaces. Uh, but if that's not possible, the secondary approach is to wash your hands. So if you had to go gas up your car right now, how would you go about filling your car? I just wash my hands after because they usually smell like gas anyways. <laughs> okay, that's uh, simple. Yeah, I, w I would say that, uh, you know, when you asked about gloves earlier, you could, uh, it wouldn't be unreasonable to say that while I go and do something, I'm going to use gloves. I noticed some people in the grocery store are wearing gloves. That has a benefit of sometimes you're maybe less likely to touch your face if it's gloved. You're, you know, you look at this blue hand coming towards you and you say, oh, remember, don't touch my face. Um, but the gloves, if they're doing their job, they're getting contaminated. So then you have to deal with now a contaminated product. So, and you don't wash gloves, so you're walking around with gloves that could be contaminated. So, the, I don't think they're necessarily recommended. Um, the, the, the alternative, which is avoiding contaminated surfaces, but if you can't, just washing your hands frequently is, is uh, safe enough. Both Scott and I have friends and colleagues who work in the medical field. Scott's wife is a nursing aide. Should I make extra precautions to stay away from Scott? <laughs> That's a very difficult question, and I uh, I hear from colleagues who are at the front line, who are seeing people who are ill, and certainly, if they're not already, they will be caring for people uh, ill with uh, COVID-19. And so that's a very challenging issue. I receive updates because I'm at the university, uh, I, I, School of Medicine and Public Health. I receive updates daily. In fact, three or four times a day, instructing providers on what to do, how to safely, um, in effect, decontaminate at the end of the day uh, before leaving work, um, what clothes need to be, what gowns and clothes and gloves need to be uh, kept at the hospital and discarded or, or um, cleaned, and, and how you can be safe so that you don't take um, a virus home um, and contaminate friends and family. And so I think that, boy, we, you know, I have a great respect for healthcare providers in general, but especially now uh, because they're in harm's way and they're, they're really doing work that needs to be done, uh, but it, it really does uh, challenge this healthcare system to keep our healthcare workers 
as safe as we can. We have an election coming up in a week and a half. We've encouraged people to get absentee ballots or vote from home, but invariably it sounds like this election is going to go forward. Are there some best practices for people that are going to, they're going to the polls? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I would view going to the polls sort of like going to the grocery store. Um, it may be viewed as an essential activity. Uh, in a democracy, certainly we need to vote, and I would encourage everybody to vote. Uh, we, my, my wife and I decided to do an absentee ballot, and we hadn't done that before, and it was mailed to our house, and it's a little complicated to fill out. It took us a little while to read the fine print, but I hope we figured it out, and it's back in the mail. Again, that ballot, you know, somebody may have touched it, but it's paper and it's been out in the mailbox for a couple hours. I'm not worried about that. Um, so if people can use absentee ballots, why not? Why not take advantage of that? That helps the poll workers and it helps you as an individual. If you have to go to the polls, I would practice the same things that uh, you would going to the grocery store. Keep a distance from the people uh, in front of you and behind you. And uh, and then with, with respect to going into the polling place, um, I assume it's going to be no different than a grocery store. They're, you're probably going to be fairly close to the poll workers. I would you know, certainly don't go vote if you're not well or wear a mask if you, uh, if you really have to. Uh, and, then, um, and then as soon as you're done voting and get home, uh, wash your hands. Well, a nitpicky question on that. Let's say you hand your ID to the poll worker. The poll worker looks at it. They hand you the ID back. You put the ID in the wallet. Do you now need to worry about the coronavirus being on your ID in your wallet? Or will it die within a couple hours? You don't need to worry, even if it's there. Yeah, there's some research out there that says that the virus can live for uh, many hours or even a, a, a day. The, those are just studies that have been able to recover a virus, but there's no evidence of virus uh, tra- being transmitted you know, after a couple hours uh, off a credit card. So I think, again, it's the degree of risk you're willing to accept. I think taking your credit card, putting it back in your billfold, uh, I'm perfectly comfortable that at some point, uh, if there if there had been contaminated, the virus is going to be uh, uh, dead and, and, and not a problem. Uh, but again, I would go home and, and wash my hands um, just in case. One of the things that they were sort of citing in this in this new study was there, there's been a lot more cases than we've than we thought. Only a very small percentage of people are getting sick enough where they're going to the hospital. Turns out a lot of people get sick and don't get symptoms or don't get very sick. The bad news is that there's a lot of it being spread around, and by and large, uh, this is going to infect uh, a vast majority of the U.S. Uh, public. So more than 50 percent of Americans will get this virus. No question, eventually. Yeah, you can't. I mean, maybe we'll have a vaccine, but I don't think we'll have a vaccine in time uh, to stop the uh, spread. Okay. What we want to do, this whole flattening of the curve and social distancing, is not to prevent the virus from infecting most of the public. It's simply to slow it down so we have enough ICU beds. But we're going to have a long tail on this virus for months. And in fact, we'll have susceptibles come next fall and winter, those of us who've been pretty fortunate to avoid infection, we're susceptible. The next wave, we're going to get infected eventually. And so what you hope is that there's enough of the public who's had the disease and immune uh, so that it doesn't propagate as, a, as an epidemic. But yeah, no, this, uh, we, have no, uh, we have no doubt that these, these draconian uh, policies to, to stay at home can't last forever. We have to go back to work 
as a society, we have to be begin engaging. We'll do that. We'll see more infection, uh, but hopefully we'll have enough capacity to treat people who get really sick. Doctor, I did happen to see your Twitter account. You didn't like one thing that Donald Trump said, which is... Don't forget the doctors. If it were up to the doctors, they may say, let's keep it shut down. Let's shut down the entire world. Because again, you're up to almost 150 countries. So let's shut down the entire world. And when we shut it down, that would be wonderful. And let's keep it shut for a couple of years. You know, we can't do that. And you can't do that with a country, especially the number one economy anywhere in the world, by far. Number one economy in the world. Can't do that. because Well, it causes bigger problems than the original. That's why I talk about the cure being worse than the problem. What's your reaction to that? Well, that's effectively what we've recommended. Uh, we've recommended to get in front of this epidemic is that all non-essential gatherings should be canceled. So po politicians uh, have taken that recommendation and put it into place. You always balance health with economic uh, challenges. And I think as a public health physician, I would say let's do more to protect uh, people and save lives. But I recognize that people need to go back to work. The point is, is that we just need to be really serious about it now and watch the data and listen to the scientists, see what's happening and then make a decision. Don't make a decision without any evidence. And, uh, you know, I, I say hope is not a strategy. I, I hope there's a vaccine. I hope this sheltering in place uh, uh, brings the epidemic down. But we have to wait and see and let, let evidence drive our decision making. And I, I don't think our president does that. He, he's the last person you want to listen to uh, at, at, uh, at this point in, in, the, in the pandemic. What do you think about the federal and the state response in terms of what they're doing now? Is this what they need to be doing or would you change something that the federal government or the state government is doing? Well, yes, it's what it, it, they're doing what needs to be done. And uh, it just took us too long to get there as a country. I would put myself in that category. I, I, was, uh, uh, I was not expecting this to happen. I know many people who've written books about this. I, I know that the, the, the Spanish flu pandemic w happened. But I just had a sense that we had better public health infrastructure, we had better uh, uh, technology that we could nip this in the bud. And I was wrong, and I think a lot of other people were wrong. Uh, this virus uh, is uh, caught us unprepared. So the number one thing is to acknowledge what we're doing now is harmful to the economy. Um, uh, you know, I have people in my family who are unemployed. Uh, as of today, who uh, cannot work and are now drawing unemployment insurance. And that's not an appropriate response to a health challenge. It's the only response now, uh, but it's one we didn't want to be forced into. And uh, I think our lack of preparedness, all you have to do is look around the world, look at Singapore and Hong Kong, ask how they were able to prepare with uh, incredible testing, with a strong public health uh, workforce that went out, with technology, cell phones that could help people identify places where the infection was so you knew where not to go. Um, they bent that curve far before we ever will, and they saved tens of thousands of lives. We just weren't ready. I would say right now is do what we need to do, but, you know, sear it in our memory 
that we can't let this happen again. In Wisconsin, we're, we're rule followers. We fill out the census at a, at a high rate. We vote at a, at a very high rate. If somebody tells us to do something, we, we generally listen as a, as a population better than other states do. There's a cell phone tracking app that said that Wisconsin's got a B so far in terms of people not moving around as much as they were a week ago, and especially in Dane County and Milwaukee County. It looks like people have dropped their trips dramatically. Is our rule following going to help us out here? That's an interesting uh, question, and I would agree (laughs) with that hypothesis, that places that uh, have a long tradition of sort of social compliance with, uh, you know, uh, voting, for example, or filling out the census, um, may be more likely to follow rules uh, from people in the government. So I think that probably will be the case. And we have um, good data that we'll be able to look back and say, uh, did the places that really took the social distancing at the heart and, uh, and, and, and practiced it? I did look at that uh, data pretty carefully I think there's some, it's a really interesting way to think about cell phones and look at the change and how much people are moving around with their cell phones. Um, I, I sort of see I-90, 94 corridor seems to be lit up all the way from here to the Twin Cities. So I just wonder whether they're picking up on people who just happen to be uh, still driving on the interstate. But but that's a an, another good example of technology that can help us evaluate whether the recommendations are being put into practice. And um, I think you should ask your readers and, you know, uh, just your friends, uh, how, how much are you, have you changed your behavior? I myself uh, uh, have hardly gone out of the house in, in the last uh, two weeks. How many times are you washing your hands a day? Well, I don't handle contaminated uh, products, so I wash them, you know, before meals and uh, morning, noon, and night sort of, but... Uh, you know, if if I don't, if nothing comes in the house, uh, our house is uh, uncontaminated. So uh, we don't we don't have visitors, uh, and uh, um, and we go to the grocery. You know, maybe a couple of times a week. So um, at that point, I would wash my hands. But uh, I'm not I'm not necessarily doing it anymore because uh, you know the the, the stay at home order is the way that you avoid the contamination of your hands. Stay at home and don't let people come in or don't let products come into your house. And uh, and when you do, then you need to wash your hands more. I was downloading a picture from the Wisconsin Historical Society from the 1918 flu this week, and it said that Wisconsin lost fewer people on average than most parts of the world, and they attributed that to an active government I'm not a big flaming progressive, but that was the progressive era, and there was a very active government, and it also made a glance at the idea of people listening and trusting what the government said, and some people do fear now that there's a lot of distrust of the government, but it does seem like Wisconsin is still mostly doing what it should. Yeah, I would agree, and and what we're seeing is a diversity of sources. What are the trusted sources? Certainly, uh, Anthony Fauci, who's you know served six presidents and been at the NIH longer than anybody else I know. He's an incredibly competent scientist, and he's a credible source. And so, um, I know people who are listening to him, and I think you look at your local. Health Department, Public Health Madison, Dane County, for example, is right at the front, leading edge of this. They're incredibly well-trained, uh, committed uh, public health professionals. They know their stuff. 
So I would focus on finding credible sources. You don't have to always look um, to the press conference in you know in Washington for uh, credible sources. Um, CDC, the World Health Organization, and our state and local health departments are incredibly trustworthy and uh, and uh, important sources of information. And I would just add, our medical reporter and our dozens of other reporters are in touch every day with people like that. And yeah, and I know, I happen to know David Wahlberg, and uh, there's no better health reporter uh, maybe in the country. Um, he does his research, he knows his stuff, and I, I think, you know, certainly the uh, State Journal and Cap Times, uh, you know, continue to be good sources of information, along with, you know, public radio. So we have a lot of good sources. Doctor, it's been wonderful to have you here. I, I was going to have one request. When you said that you have 350 students, please tell all of them to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I will. Center yeah, Stage with Milford and Hands. That would probably increase your listening by how many polls? Um, Maybe... <laughs> Maybe about thirty percent. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, I will. I will assign this and then and give them uh, extra credit points. <laughs> Nobody's covering the coronavirus crisis in more depth and with better reporters than the Wisconsin State Journal. Find all of our coverage at Madison.com and to subscribe to our digital edition for just three dollars for three months. Go to madison.com slash subscribe now. You'll be supporting more than 40 journalists in our newsroom covering the novel coronavirus, all of its impacts, what people are doing, and how we get out of this. Madison.com slash subscribe now. When is it okay to see Grandma again? I don't think that time has come yet. Uh, So I, I think we still need to wait to see what happens with what we call community spread. Community spread is a scary thing. That means that somebody got infected without travel and without contact to a known case. And I think until we uh, see significantly less community spread, then then we we can begin to identify those people who are sick um, and and those people who've been exposed. So we need more testing. We just were way behind on testing. Uh, we shouldn't have been uh, rationing testing just to people with symptoms. We should have been testing immediately. If, if a case is diagnosed, we should have been testing everybody who's even close to that person. And so until we have that capacity, I think it's prudent to stay clear of people who would not do well if they got, if they got uh, the disease. Thanks again to Patrick Remington of UW-Madison for being our guest on Center Stage with Milford and Hands. You can follow Dr. Remington at P.L. Remington. That's at P-L-R-E-M-I-N-G-T-O-N. Thank you, doctor. Our theme music is by Tube Tester.